A lot has changed in the past several weeks as we get used to the new and uh, constantly evolving normal. That is for sure. But there's one thing that hasn't changed. We still have a profound housing shortage in this country. That's right. And it's maybe more important than ever that work continue to be done on this long-term issue. And solving the housing shortage involves understanding complex local housing policies and how they impact supply. Fortunately, there are resources available to better understand some of these details and provide lessons learned impacting housing development in local markets. Today, we'll cover some of these topics which can inform future development decisions. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Corey Aber. And I'm Steve Guggenmoss. Today on the show, we're excited to welcome back Mike Kinsella, the Executive Director of Up for Growth. Mike and Up for Growth have done a great deal to bring attention to housing affordability and housing policy, particularly around solving the imbalance in the market. Last year, we had Mike on to talk about their housing policy and affordability calculator for Seattle. And uh, I, I, for one, definitely geeked out more than a little bit uh, using that tool. And now Mike's got a new iteration of the tool for a new city, Charlotte, North Carolina. So really excited to dig into this today. But first, uh, we should probably formally welcome uh, Mike back to the show uh, before we get too carried away. So Mike, welcome uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great to have you back. And uh, yeah, so uh, leaping in, as Corey said, that we... Uh, We've talked about Seattle, and now you've got another market we're, we're excited to talk about today. How is it that you uh, you chose to have Charlotte as the second market? Sure, Steve. Well, you know, look, we, we as a national organization are interested in advancing calculators uh, across the entire country, you know, representing the different and distinct geographic regions where you know, communities, while they all face a uh, uh, housing crisis uh, in various ways, they, they experience the housing crisis in different ways. And so we were really excited uh, to identify Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, uh, as a really fast-growing but medium-sized city uh, as, as the next place to, to roll out a housing policy and affordability calculator. I would also just add that, you know, Charlotte is a place that, that again, is, is experiencing housing crisis. It, it, it is one of the places in the country where we have observed a shortage uh, where we have observed a significant increase in the in the cost of housing for a lot of households, uh, but there's also you know the good news is that there's political will. Uh, both the state legislature and the city of Charlotte have uh, have done good policy work in this space and continue to focus on innovative and, and forward-thinking policies to really get at the crux of, of the housing affordability challenge, which in our view is is in part at least driven uh, by a shortage of homes for those that need it. You know, Charlotte makes for a really interesting case study for those reasons and more. And I'd like to get into I'd like to get into that and some of the lessons you learned from Charlotte and why it's uh, why it's special. Uh, but first, let's talk about the tool itself and how that's changed since the tool you built for Seattle. The, the tool itself is, is certainly an improvement uh, from the first version of this calculator that we released in Seattle, Washington, in, in 2019 in a couple of distinct ways. First, I'd like to maybe say a few words around the process and, and, the, and how we as Up for Growth really work with local stakeholders to deliver the key inputs and assumptions behind the tool uh, and, and how we ultimately deliver it. And the second is, is the technical elements of the tool itself, how we organize policies, how we organize the output. 
From a process perspective, one of the things that we learned uh, in our experience in Seattle, uh, really at the back end of the process, was the ability to tap into a diverse network of different stakeholders to really look at different policy trade-offs from different viewpoints. In Seattle, uh, we worked very closely uh, with the development and building community to get our, get our arms fully around what drives housing economics, what drives the costs of producing a new unit of affordable uh, housing or a new unit of market rate housing, uh, and how do those development economics play out once the, once the housing community is delivered in terms of rent and ultimately measuring rent impacts given different sets of policy choices. In the Seattle policy, uh, policy process, in the Seattle housing policy and affordability calculator uh, delivery process, we really worked with a, a diverse uh, group of individuals representing very different organizations on the back end. And we were able to accommodate these different viewpoints uh, prior to delivery of the calculator. But we knew that there was an opportunity that was missing in the Seattle process and that's really to incorporate the diverse perspectives and insights from the front end of the process. And, and that's really what we, that's really how we engaged in delivering the, the Charlotte tool uh, when we began um, our, our process in late 2019 and rolling into ultimate delivery of the, of the calculator uh, in early 2020 um, at the ULI Charlotte um, uh, uh, meeting. And, and so I would just say that, you know, as we pulled this tool together, we recognize that there is value certainly in continuing to engage with housing practitioners, uh, but also public policy makers who day in, day out are grappling with these policy decisions. The value of bringing those folks into the development process of the calculator uh, was immense. Um, and then lastly, I'll say, you know, we found a lot of value in engaging community organizations, you know, groups that are focused on housing for the homeless, groups that are focused on issues around equity and in the environment. Because while we talked about those elements as we, as we built and delivered the Seattle calculator, we found a, a tremendous amount of value in actually talking about those at the front end, uh, particularly in terms of even identifying the, the policies that we wanted to measure through the calculator. So that was a real evolution uh, in the project itself, in the study, in, in the way that we identify policies and in the way that, frankly, we decide how to measure their impacts. Yeah, I think that is one of the, thing that's, the things that as people approach the housing market and think about these difficulties, uh, th they don't realize how many stakeholders are involved. And for you to be able to capture all of that and, uh, and use those learnings to get it into the tool um, is, is really fantastic. As we engaged in that process, it, it added a tremendous amount of understanding and depth, I think, uh, to the range of policies that we were able to tackle. And actually, that's a good way to think about the evolution of the tool itself and the interface. Uh, what we learned in the Seattle process is that while there was value in organizing the different policies that impact housing based on differing public purposes you know, from environmental uh, policy to uh, civic engagement to public finance, uh, we found that there was a missed opportunity in terms of thinking about policy decisions along the continuum of the development process. And that's to say that there are different policies that impact housing production at different points in the process and deliver varying degrees of impact. For instance, policies that 
affects the early site selection and market assessment phase of development could have outsized impacts potentially uh, relative to certain policies that impact the approvals process or uh, the post-completion uh, uh, inspection and, and, and certification process. And so as we delivered this calculator, uh, we, we actually took the opportunity to align our range of 15 policies for the city of Charlotte to the five distinct stages of the development process. I think, you know, that's a really important uh, you know, update that you've made, like looking at those, those impacts over time uh, in the process. And certainly something you see on the, on the financing side, uh, you know, when you do permanent debt and you're, you're waiting uh, till after the construction period is complete, you know, you start to see the impact that delays can have in, in the process. Uh, so really great that you're able to capture some of that. Uh, so let's dig into that a little bit. Uh, what are the what are some of the things that you uh, did capture in there, and, and what did you find as a result? Yeah, so you know, I mean, I, I have two specific examples. Um, one, one is really a best practice, and I think the other for Charlotte is is an opportunity. Charlotte, as I mentioned earlier, is a fast growing place. It's a medium sized American city, but it's got huge economic drivers. You know, the banking sector. It's 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 a growing city in its own right, with its own thriving culture and a desirable place to live. And so as the city has experienced that growth and as they look forward and they're planning for that growth uh, in their 2040 comprehensive planning process, one of the opportunities that they identified was to really encourage and enable more housing uh, across the income, uh, affordable to folks across the income spectrum um, through really creating uh, quicker, cleaner, more predictable paths to producing housing in high opportunity and transit served locations. So Charlotte uh, has a couple of light rail lines. Uh, one of the first uh, light rail corridors uh, that got built out was the city's blue line. Um, and there is a really big development opportunity along that line. It's going through an area of town that um, is, is, is in the path of, of, of community growth. Um, these are areas that are walkable um, to transit station areas. All, all told, uh, along the blue line, there's something like 1,500 parcels. And in the context of a, of a rapidly growing city, uh, Charlotte was really interested in getting ahead of it and ensuring that the development decisions that occurred along that line were really maximizing um, uh, housing potential uh, to reflect the need and shifting preference of a lot of, a lot of folks in Charlotte who are looking for that, those opportunities uh, to live in, in transit served areas. So there was a economic development opportunity. There was a question of housing that is attainable to a larger percentage of folks in, in Charlotte uh, at, at price points that you know, were, are affordable. Um, and, and so what Charlotte really, really looked at is how can we reduce the incremental cost of delivering units so that projects can either have um, more affordable uh, homes within them, um, and by affordable there, I mean deed-restricted, um, affordable units priced to folks at 80% of AMI, uh, or um, to what extent can we just generally make housing you know, less expensive to produce and, 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 and consequently to, to lease or to buy? Uh, and so the city implemented a TOD alignment rezoning, uh, which established different areas of town 
within proximity to its light rail uh, stations um, that had really a couple of key features. Number one, uh, permit uh, uh, approvals are considered as of right in these areas. So there's no discretionary uh, approval process. Uh, if you meet certain clear and objective standards, your project is, is approved. And so that means that it's much quicker uh, to get a shovel in the ground uh, versus a, a more discretionary approval path. The second element, which we found is actually uh, quite powerful when we looked at this in the Seattle calculator, is rather than having parking minimums, have parking maximums. So incentivize builders of residential communities, particularly higher density residential communities near transit, uh, to, to not build as much parking. Uh, because we know the parking, especially subterranean, is becoming more and more expensive. And there's a real affordability trade-off there. Um, so, so based on based on that analysis um, of of the policy of the TOD realignment policy, uh, we actually found uh, that the city itself uh, shifts feasibility uh, across this light rail line to to essentially make possible 400 more homes than otherwise would pencil uh, over a three-year forecast period. So again. While there's not an immediate uh, impact on, on the cost of, of, of rent for current homes, you're really addressing that 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 imbalance in the market that that Steve you alluded to earlier. Yeah, and I think that uh, um, it's it's interesting because uh, you give an example of uh, of of these impacts, and you talk about the the timing that can change because people are able to to build by right. And then the parking maximums; those are actually two different levers that listeners can can use in the model to learn about that themselves as well. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And what's really interesting is when you look at this this calculator, which which we we certainly plan to continue to keep updated as as the years roll on. Um, we're right now looking at the blue line corridor. You can imagine the impact of moving those levers to become much more impactful. Uh, as you apply that policy to more and more geographical areas or more and more transit lines across across any city. Yeah, Mike, I think that's, that's one point I want to key in on a little bit because you talked about 400 more homes than otherwise could have been built. Um, so just how big is that blue line corridor? And so 400 in one sense could seem like, oh, that's not that many homes. But if you're talking about a relatively small geographic area, then it then it's quite a lot. So uh, give us some perspective there. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that line and that policy only relates to four TOD districts along one light rail line. Uh, and so, to the extent that we're talking about all light rail lines in a in a in a metro area, uh, you you could in effect multiply out the impact. So one um, you know, one other thing that occurs to me, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about just the growth in in Charlotte. And uh, my understanding is a lot of that growth is fairly recent, right? It's, you know, it's not an old city like Boston or New York, uh, right? So um, how much does just, you know, the relative newness of growth uh, affect the ability to uh, make these interventions and get more density through some of these policy interventions? Oh, I think I think it's a huge opportunity for Charlotte. You know, Charlotte is an example of a city that, as you say, 
a lot of that growth is new. And so they have the opportunity to get ahead of a lot of critical land use decisions uh, that say more legacy cities or cities that are, that are much more built out uh, in, in certain areas um, are, are more challenged in doing so. But don't get me wrong, these aren't, these aren't greenfield development sites. These aren't completely barren or, or all surface parking lots or, or uh, agricultural land. You know, these are, this is urban infill. And, you know, what it is, is ultimately the development economics. Um, when more units of, of capacity are brought online, that really helps bring in more producers of housing who are able to just simply build more. And, you know, let's say there's a site with a retail center. It's been around for 30 years. Um, it might make more sense to redevelopment under this sort of policy um, than if this sort of policy did not exist. And I think that's really what we're seeing in the data. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly imagine it would make uh, make retail more relevant in those areas to change the economics of, of some of the retail there too, right? And more mixed use. And it's all about vibrant, walkable, livable communities with access to transit and opportunity and jobs. And, and that's really as cities themselves are thinking about continuing to grow and continuing to be economically competitive. That's the whole ballgame is how can you create these vibrant districts uh, where, where people want to live? You mentioned there one type of opportunity, and earlier you mentioned that there that in Charlotte you found a best practice and you found an opportunity. Um, what, what's the area where you saw that uh, Charlotte could could do something more, maybe? Well, like with many communities, you know, one of the challenges is is getting a, a residential community from an idea to delivery, uh, and I, I think you know Charlotte um, is a community as compared to you know, many places in the Western U.S. Uh, where it is still relatively uh, efficient uh, to get through to construction uh, from concept. Um, but at the same time, um, Charlotte faces uh, some challenges in this regard. One of, the, one of the issues that we learned from our partners at the city of, of Charlotte and Mecklenburg County uh, is that horizontal uh, permit issuance and vertical uh, construction approvals are handled separately and by two different uh, local governments, the county and the city, two different office buildings, uh, disconnected in, in, in many ways. And, and there is a concerted effort to connect those and cr to create an efficient one-stop shop process. So we, we, looked at the, we looked at the timelines right now and, and for the permitting process for a two-bedroom mid-rise um, uh, uh, apartment, let's say, uh, the current time to get from beginning to end on, on permit application and approval is about 14 months. Well, what we found is by taking that timeline, if, if certain results are realized in terms of streamlining and making more efficient uh, the permitting process, if we took that 14-month period down to four-month uh, period, that would result in an effective rent drop uh, by about $30 per month. Uh, which would generate a savings of over $350 per year uh, for, for our renters. So while Charlotte, I think, relative to Atlanta uh, or relative to some Northeastern uh, uh, U.S. markets is considered extremely friendly um, to growth and to business and, and to development, uh, we found that there are opportunities to actually 
bend the cost curve further and, and deliver more affordability, even market rate affordability to newcomers to that city. So Mike, with, uh, with the work that you've been doing with all the uh, you know, local players um, in building this tool, are you seeing uh, those groups sort of taking the lessons from all of that work you all did together and, and acting on it you know, just, just as a result of all that collaborative effort? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have to really thank a lot of our local partners. We, as I mentioned earlier, we, we had a local advisory committee that drove a lot of the decision making around the policy selection uh, for this calculator and, and really how we looked at the effect of the policies. And it really came out of how are they going to use the calculator to further their own agenda to address affordability in the city. And so we had everyone from uh, ULI uh, in Charlotte uh, to the city itself, uh, to the Lotus campaign, which is uh, developing uh, and investing in housing for, for formerly homeless individuals, to the apartment association and, and, and the local initiative support corporation, which is a huge national player in housing affordability, but with a local presence um, in that town. And I'll tell you that each of those organizations, I think, took away this calculator from that process, uh, a valuable tool uh, to advocate for common sense policy choices and solutions on the ground. And in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you further that Allison Craig, who's the deputy planning director for the city of Charlotte uh, and, and was a key voice in that local advisory committee process, she, she moderated um, a panel discussion around the launch of this calculator at the ULI Carolinas conference uh, back in February. Her point was, this is exactly the tool that we need to describe the benefits of policies like the TOD rezoning policy or like the new unified development ordinance policy we're pulling together to describe and quantify the benefits of those policy choices to city council. So we're finding that Folks who are involved in policymaking from a technical perspective really find value in these sorts of tools uh, to not only articulate to the public at large the value of those policy choices, but you know, elected officials. And so we hope that uh, as, as Charlotte continues down its, its journey of uh, planning for the future, that this tool will remain uh, an important part of its portfolio uh, to think about uh, specifically housing pol policy decisions. That is really great how people were involved from the beginning from many different perspectives. And then as it got delivered, um, you know, they kind of enthusiastically uh, went forward with the delivery and the expected kind of use of this in, in creating the, and helping themselves out. So uh, as you think about um, the future of these kind of analyses and, and other markets, um, do you have anything in mind in that area? Well, we've already started the process for Portland, Oregon. You know, Portland uh, is another city uh, like Charlotte, in fact, that is rapidly growing and, and, and certainly facing a, a severe affordability challenge that, that its city and, and state leaders as well have been hard at work uh, 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 in addressing. Um, what, I'll, what I'll say, though, is that, you know, of course, we're all looking at the, the, the new world um, with the coronavirus pandemic affecting many aspects of life. And, and so this is work that relies on a lot of on the ground stakeholder engagement um, field work that's just not possible right now. So, so we're looking at continuing to maintain uh, the Seattle and Charlotte calculators 
and, and, and frankly, uh, deliver the Portland calculator virtually uh, through, a, through a partnership that we have with, with ULI Northwest. And then I think as we, as we all come out of this, um, there are in fact going to be opportunities to, to leverage the insights that the housing policy and affordability calculators can deliver uh, to inform uh, policy conversations happening in many parts of the country about to how, how to leverage housing production and community growth uh, to, to not only address affordability, uh, but to also address economic recovery. And I think um, certainly thinking of the renters is important in, uh, in a time like this. And like you say, in the vital jobs that they're serving right now and, uh, and making sure, because the, the alternatives uh, are um, really grim and uh, thinking about um, the possibility of, of uh, keeping people in their homes and, um, you know, in, in the context of the housing shortage that we talked about earlier, keep keeping units, you know, available and operating. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, in the, in this time, more, more than many, you know, when we're all talking about sheltering in place, it is very difficult to do that if, if you lack access to shelter. And, and so I think that, you know, this has to be, um, this has to be an, a part of the immediate needs conversation. So, Mike, uh, you know, let's look ahead a little bit as well. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, the importance of housing as part of the recovery. So, how do you think that plays out? One of the things we've we've said for a long time is, you know, housing is one of the one of the most impactful areas of policy where we can create jobs, where we can create economic activity. You know, if you think about different sectors of the economy and the in the in the multiplier effect of a, of a dollar in investment uh, brings uh, housing I believe carries a give or take a, a seven uh, multiplier for every dollar that you spend on, on producing housing that that multiplier effect results in seven dollars of economic activity you know if you think about the direct construction jobs and, and, the, and the subcontractors and all of the raw materials that go into producing housing and the property management and and, and, and so on down the line. And you know, we call it an ecosystem because it is an ecosystem. And so I think, I think at the same time, we are in this world where we do have a housing shortage. Um, our, our research found that uh, the shortage um, that, that, that we accrued from 2000 to 2015 uh, totals 7.3 million homes. And that's both multifamily and single family. And again, that's only for 2000 to 2015. And so, the the real deficit of homes in today's um, uh, in today's world is, is is probably even more significant than 7.3 million. What we also found in that research is that if you build the 7.3 million homes, uh, you will contribute about 2.1 trillion dollars to U.S. GDP. That's a big number. And and we think in the context of kickstarting the economy. Uh, creating job opportunities for for millions of Americans that that soon will be in active search of of employment. Uh, we 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 think that, ironically, where arguably housing was one of the drivers of the last economic crisis, uh, it, it could be the very thing that pulls us out of this economic crisis. So we're really optimistic that we can find more even more support for more housing getting built and aligning policies to support that uh, because ultimately we believe housing production is an economic recovery strategy. 
That is really well said. And I think it's been such a great conversation today. And uh, I think from a distance, the housing market and getting properties built and delivered um, to, to provide needed housing can be so complex because there's many, many moving parts. And, um, and I think that the great thing that with, um, with your work and the tools you produce and your thinking on how to approach these things is that there are some simple pieces that are, that are net wins. And I uh, just want to thank you for being here today to speak about how some of those things can and do work and how they can be approached. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.